Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Trey. And now we're about to start talking about the songs of 1985. But we're approaching this year a little bit differently, aren't we, Trey? We sure are. So could you explain to our listeners, because this was kind of your idea, how we'd organize this? Well, 1985 was another banner year for music, but... We had to split this one too in two because there were so many stellar alternative rock albums that came out in 85, as well as stellar pop-oriented stuff. And we realized there was no way we were going to cover it all in just one episode, so we split it into pop and then alt-rock. I should note, this is a year I got heavy into alternative rock, and my life just completely changed due to it that fall. But we'll get into that in the next part. Okay. So this episode, we're going to focus specifically on pop music from 1985. So one thing we're not going to include in this episode, Trey, even though it was a huge part of the pop culture in 1985, is Duran Duran. Because we are going to do that in a special episode in a few weeks. So if anyone's wondering why we didn't put, what is it, a view to a kill? You'll get your wish in a few weeks. And so Trey, what are we starting off with? Night shift by the Commodores. It was recorded in memoriam of Marvin Gaye Jr., who was murdered by a son. Was it 82, Laurie? 84. Oh, it was the same year. Well, wow, I didn't realize it. I don't know. This The drums in this song always got me going. You know, it's got such a great drum line in it. Yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised, actually, when you picked this one, Trey. I mean, it's definitely a good song, but this is not at all what I was expecting you to pick. Well, you know... Like I said, up until 85, I was still generally in the top 40 music. So, you know. Yeah. I didn't have many options here, as I've said a hundred times on the show. All I had was a top 40 station to listen to. So, you know, it's a great song. You know, I like the fact that it name checks not only Marvin Gaye, as you mentioned, but also Jackie Wilson. 
And mm -hmm. that's something that a number of artists have done over the years. We'd see it again in a few years with ABC when Smokey sings that kind of a name checking, like R&B soul act. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I thought that was really cool. This one actually peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. It's a good one to start us off with. You know, I should note, I had no idea who Marvin Gaye was. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was like, who is, who, who, who is this about? What did he do? See, now that's interesting because I did know who Marvin Gaye was at that time. And, well, I guess, again, me being from an urban area. Right. I had no clue about anything other than Prince, really. Gotcha. And another artist coming up later in the show. Yeah. Well, my first choice for 1985 is A Love Bazaar by Sheila E. remember this one well i don't I, I don't it wasn't one i love no i wasn't sure what to think of music like this at that point in time still okay well sheila e was one of prince's proteges and yep. arguably probably his most successful talented talented percussionist if you read her memoir she talks a lot about how she got into drumming you know, even before she met Prince, the fact that she did meet Prince, I think that kind of boosted her career up to the next level. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, she had also worked with Carlos Santana. Yeah. Yeah. This song went to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100, and you actually can hear Prince singing on the backup vocals. I like this one. I think it's a fun song, but it's also a little bit naughty, a little bit sexy. You know, it gets kind of rough in the back of our limousine. You know, it's a little flirty. I like it. This is bad, but I should note she's the only Prince protege that didn't become a complete train wreck later in her life. Apollonia. What was that other group? Vanity. Yeah. Kevin Campbell. Oh, I forgot about him. But then you also have like uh, Sheena Easton that actually for a while was in his orbit. And she she seemed to do okay, but she was pretty established before she met him. Exactly. She? She, she had a well-established career before that happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of Prince, what did you choose for our next song? Raspberry Beret, which was his first release after his, the success of Purple Rain.
And I just love this song. Who doesn't? This is such a great song. It's a fun one. It's definitely a yeah. fun one. Yeah. It, it did peak at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you said, this was post Purple Rain. And I kind of feel like maybe he's not doing as well now post Purple Rain. You know what I mean? Like I said, like only going to number three, for example. I mean, for anybody else, a number three hit, we would say, oh, that's fantastic. But for Prince, that kind of seemed like he was slipping a little bit, didn't it? Well, he's had a lot of uh, great competition here in 85. I mean, there was so much going on. This was from Around the World in a, in a Day, wasn't it? Around the World in a Days. No, it's Around the World in a Day. Yeah, is it? I thought it was in a Days. No, it's in a Day. Okay, well, I stand corrected. <laughs> I, I, own mean, the I, damn... could, I could see. I could see if it was in a Days. I could totally see that. I own the damn album that got that wrong, so... And it's a great album, too. You've never sat down and listened to the whole thing. It's almost like psychedelic funk. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, I mean, this album, you know, like I said, two top ten hits, went double platinum, and yet it still seemed kind of um, a little bit of a letdown, I think, after the success of Purple Rain. I mean, Purple Rain was really Prince's magnum opus, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, but you have an album that big. It's going to be... Very few people have done an album as big as Purple Rain, and then followed it up with one as big. So I think on this album, I think it's a little, a little less pop, and maybe a little bit more. You know, you mentioned around the world in a daze, maybe a little more psychedelic. Oh, for sure, psychedelic punk, like I said. Yeah, and and I think maybe, I mean, there's a little bit. I think almost of a George Clinton inspiration going oh, on. Oh yeah, there. totally, totally. Yeah. And hey, speaking of George Clinton, the next song on our list, yes, the next song on our list is May the Cube Be With You by Dolby's Cube. Let's listen. So Dolby's Cube was a side project of Thomas Dolby. And we've talked about Thomas Dolby on the podcast before. Obviously, he's best known for She Blinded Me With Science. Dolby's Cube was one of his little side projects. And there were a number of guest artists in Dolby's Cube. And on this song, Trey, the guest artist is George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic fame. And I actually didn't know this existed. Yeah, so this was released as a one-off single in 1985. Eventually, it would make its way onto a re-release of Aliens Ate My Buick. And sometimes I think people were were rolling their eyes a little bit, like, really, Thomas Dolby and George Clinton. But it's really not that far-fetched. Thomas Dolby always had his roots in, like, the kind of funk sound that Parliament was known for. And a lot of times he would be jamming with these artists, you know, and, and they'd you know, be like, hey, this white guy, you know, he, he's got a good groove. So it seemed like it was 
a natural partnership, but I don't know that MTV people knew what to think of it. MTV audiences, rather. It's really fun and it's really kind of tongue in cheek if you watch the video, especially. But if you listen to the lyrics, you know, it's about a a drug, basically, that they're calling Dolby's Cube that uh, people are getting turned on to. There's a reference in the song to Marilyn Monroe and Marlon Brando. And there's actually a little cheeky bit in the video with uh, with butter referencing Marlon Brando. Was that a jab at him being so overweight? No, actually, Trey, it's a reference to a scene in The Last Tango in Paris where uh, he assaults uh, a, a woman with a stick of butter. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Uh, it's. Uh... <laughs> I've heard of the movie. I've just never seen it. Yeah. Well, actually, the uh, actress Jean Maria Schneider has gone on record as saying that it wasn't planned and that it was an actual rape and she was very, very traumatized by it. I've heard he could be hard to work with. Oh, that's an understatement. <laughs> Watching the Apocalypse Now documentary, I got that impression. Yeah. Up next, we have Smooth Operator by Side A. All I got to say about this song is why wasn't it a James Bond theme? It does kind of have that. This would be that. I remember yeah. a friend of mine saying that back in 85 when this was out. I was like, you know, you're exactly right. Yeah, it does have that kind of a like totally smoky, sensual yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, it did go to number five on the Billboard chart and. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. As mm -hmm. a matter of fact, a lot of times you still can't turn on any adult contemporary stations without hearing it. Oh, it's all over. Yeah. Sade went on to have a very long and storied career, but I, this is the first song that I remember hearing from her. I think this was her breakthrough hit for sure. Yeah. yeah so her vocal stylings, the saxophone, just very smooth, very sexy. I, you know, like I take her greatest hits album and I'll put it on, you know, light a candle, take a hot bath, you know, just relax. It's perfect music for that. It was a great song for sure. Pretty much all her singles have been excellent. I've never listened to one of her, her entire, one of her entire albums. But she, she's had some good ones out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of sexy, sensual music, next up we have Brian Ferry and his solo song, Don't Stop the Dance. Don't 
this is another one I oddly wasn't very familiar with. So Brian Ferry obviously started off as the lead singer of Roxy Music, but he had a very strong solo career in his own right. This was actually from his sixth solo album, Boys and Girls, and it did make the adult contemporary charts, but I don't think it charted on the Billboard Hot 100, at least not that I remember. But it really is very evocative of Brian Ferry's sound at the time, you know, very smooth very you know you talk about james bondish you know the way that he always presented himself in the videos you mm-hmm. know well-dressed yeah you know you'd like you'd expect him to uh have a martini shaken and not stirred right exactly i you know i wouldn't really become aware of brian ferry till the next year okay when he had a song from legend oh what song was that is your love strong enough oh is that from legend yes Oh. It's the themed legend. Oh, okay. I think it's even titled as that, and I could be wrong. Okay. I'll believe you. <laughs> I believe you. Notable, too, is the fact that with Roxy Music, Brian Ferry would go on to influence so many, oh. so many of the artists that we love, and quite frankly, a lot of the artists that we're mentioning today. Yeah. Another one that we're going to mention in 85, although we're not going to mention in this episode, Duran Duran. They cite Roxy Music as a huge influence. Yes. And believe it or not, Trey, even Madness have cited Roxy Music as being one of their influences. As a matter of fact, they did a song called 4BF, which stands for For Brian Ferry. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Hugely, hugely influential. I don't think there was anyone coming up in the 70s in the UK that wasn't influenced by them. I mean, there's just no way. Yeah, Roxy Music and David Bowie, I think, were, were the I, two two big influences on especially 80s synth pop and 80s alternative music, for sure. I've even heard Def Leppard say uh, Roxy Music was a huge influence on them. You know, I believe that because they are kind of lumped in a little bit with glam rock, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Trey, what was the next song that you chose for 1985? The Sun Always Shines on TV by Aha. Okay, so I have to say something. I chose this one because I hate their big hit. Really? Okay. It's another one that has just got absolutely destroyed by, you know, nostalgia shows and, you know, radio. I'm just like, oh, God, I don't ever want to hear this again. So you're speaking of Take On Me, obviously. Yes. And this one was like the follow-up single, but it yes. never really did anything over here in the U.S. It just kind of landed with a thud, didn't it? I yeah, I remember seeing the video and all. I liked it. I thought actually even back then I thought it was better than Take On Me. It was a little bit darker and the video, in my opinion, was a lot cooler than the 
animated thing. Mm-hmm. And it just has such a good mix on the bass, and it is so boomy. Well, and it, it, it kind of reminded me as I was listening to this, because I hadn't heard it since, I think, 85. Uh, it reminds me of, like, an old TV show theme in parts, you know, like an A-Team or, or what was the other show with the helicopter? Huh? I can't think of the name of it. Airwolf? Yes, you know, like that kind of a an action theme song. And I think maybe that's what they were going for. I could see it more on maybe something like Miami Vice, which I believe it did get played on there. Oh, that's very possible, yeah. So next up, we have a song by Wang Chung, To Live and Die in L.A. And this was a theme song from a movie of the same name. Let's listen. of caught Wang Chung in a little bit of a transitional period. They had previously had a hit with Dance Hall Days, but they hadn't quite hit the huge international success that they were going to hit in a year or two with Everybody Have Fun Tonight and that, <laughs> that whole album. I like this song because I think it really highlights their songwriting abilities and a lot of their songs really do have kind of a, a darker tone to it. Now this song is, as I said, from the movie to live and die in LA, which I haven't seen. I do remember seeing it advertised. I was going to say, if you've seen the movie, you will know why their music that they did for it is dark. It is a, it's a fantastic movie, but oh, it, is it? It, yes. I know that it starred William Peterson and Willem Dafoe. Yes. And for that reason alone, I would want to watch it. So it's about secret service men trying to bust a counterfeiting ring, right? Yeah. That's the basic plot of it. But there, I'm oversimplifying it. There's <laughs> you. Have you ever seen Heat? No. It's similar to Heat. It's just branching and there's a romance and then another romance. And then it's just something around every corner. It's a great movie. All right, well, I'll definitely check it out. Now, the song only peaked at number 41 here in the U.S., so it's just outside of the top 40. And the movie wasn't all that successful either, but it's since gotten a whole lot of acclaim. You know, once it went to home video and cable, and of course now with everything we got, it, it's a well-loved movie. Oh, I'll have to check it out then, if for no other reason than Willem Dafoe. You should watch it. It's a, it's a great, great movie. Okay. Hey, speaking of theme songs, Trey, what did you pick next? Up next, we have the Miami Vice theme by Jan Hammer.
Okay, so admit it. When you heard this, the first thing you saw in your mind's eye was the opening segment for Miami Vice with the Flamingos, right? That's why I love it. I was a, still am a massive Miami Vice fan. I mean, the show just took me by storm. I, I, from the, you know, watching the two-hour premiere and the music. It was really a cultural touchstone for many people in 85. Oh, yeah. It really influenced uh, fashion. It influenced music. It was really, for network television, it was, I think, the first time that we had, like, a contemporary musical soundtrack and a contemporary vibe, you know, in a cop show. You know how Michael Mann came up with it, don't you? He got his notebook out one day to begin working on something, and he wrote MTV Cops. Oh, MTV Cops, yeah. You know, on the first page, and just it just spiraled from there. I know that Don Johnson's and Philip Michael Thomas's wardrobes were very heavily influenced by the Anthony Price suits worn by Duran Duran and a lot of their music videos from Rio. Oh, yeah. And a lot of musicians of the time, a lot of rock stars of the time, made cameo appearances on Miami Vice. Oh, yeah. And that's going to come up, too, in an episode very soon. We talk about Duran Duran and some of their side projects. Yep. I was really, really obsessed with Don Johnson in 85, as as many teen girls were. I was going to say, I think every woman in the country was. That was a kind of a given thing. And... I, the, the theme song's great, by the way. Jan Hammer, really, really well-known. I think he's, is he German or Austrian? I think he's German, isn't he? He's one of those. But he was groundbreaking with synthesizers. Yes. He'd done some work with Neil Schoen of Journey prior to this. We talk about the influence of MTV. And we talk about how those of us that did have MTV were exposed to a bunch of new music that people such as yourself that didn't have access to MTV right. wouldn't necessarily have been exposed to. And well, 85, okay, I wasn't quite a teen. I was a preteen. But my best friend at the time, she was a, a dancer, but she she didn't have MTV. So she didn't know a lot of the same music that I did. And I remember a conversation with her where she asked me, you know, well, what are you listening to right now? And I said, oh, I'm really getting into this band called Miami Sound Machine. Because at the time, and this is one we're not going to play today, but at the time, Conga was getting a lot of airplay, you know, Gloria, Stefan. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd never heard anything like that before. So I said, yeah, I'm getting into this band called Miami Sound Machine. And she goes, no, you mean Miami Vice soundtrack. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> So I, I will forever associate that. I, I still hear her voice in my head. Miami Vice soundtrack. No, no. Uh, the Miami Vice soundtrack was obviously good in its own right. But it was definitely not Miami Sound Machine. Oh, not by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I remember my parents buying me the, they got me the cassette. The cassette came on a record-sized piece of paper, cardboard. You know, it wasn't in a cassette holder. It was on a big piece of and it had a booklet in it that you could, you know, pictures from the show and stuff in it. Hmm, ours didn't. My sister had it. I was going to say, I think it was some sort of special, you know, edition or something, or limited, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was prior to us being uh, concerned about the environment in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, that's when CD long boxes started coming out. Really. Oh, I, I remember that. And we can have a whole conversation about that, too, but... 
Well, next up, we have a song by Simple Minds, who followed up their 1984 smash, Don't You Forget About Me, with this song, Alive and Kicking. This is one of my all-time favorite albums. Oh, it's an incredible album. Oh, it's, Jesus. There's not a bad track on it. It is so strong. You know, I, I think it's a shame because most American audiences, the only song they know by Simple Minds is Don't You Forget About Me, which is the one song that they didn't write. Yeah, don't get me. Well, in the episode we talked about it, you all know I'm not a fan of that song. This song in particular Really, really strong follow-up, and uh, it reached number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number four in Canada. And Jim Kerr, who is the lead singer, I was actually surprised to learn that he was married to Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders. Yes, right around this time, too. Yeah, which... I was surprised to learn that at the time because I knew Chrissy Hind is an American artist. But now that I know that, you know, she lived in the UK and was a big part of the the Vivian Westwood scene and, you know, the Sex Pistols and everything, that makes a little bit more sense to me. I didn't know she was American until I think the 90s. I thought she was British too. Oh, okay. This album is just, oof. Definitely one of my, I'd say, top 20 favorite albums of all time. Like you said, every track on it is good. Yeah, I mean, Sanctify Yourself, that was on this album too, wasn't it? Oh, man, yes. That was another really, really good one. And, you know, just so strong all around. Strong musicianship, strong songwriting, mm -hmm. strong vocals from Jim Care, and then also the, the background vocals. Oh, I forget that woman's name. Oh, let's look it up, because she's really got some soul, doesn't she? She's heavily featured in the All the Things She Said video, which is... Fantastic song, but one of the most ridiculous videos of the 80s, I think. I don't remember the video. I'll have to look that one up. <laughs> Robin Clark? That's okay. it. That's it. It was on the tip of my tongue. Okay. She was on a couple Bowie albums. I mean, mm -hmm. wasn't she on like Young Americans? and? I believe so. She was all over the place. I I'm reading her biography here. It looks like she worked with Luther. Why can't I talk? I'm Luther reading her Vandross. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We're both having that problem today. I'm tripping over my own tongue. Okay, so Trey, tell us what you chose for your next song. Up next, we have Lay Your Hands on Me by the Thompson Twins off of their fantastic album, Here's to Future Days. Grace and feel the magic in your touch. Ooh, lay your 
Now, I never actually owned any of their albums. Oh, I had them all. I, I mean, I know their singles, and I think this was one of my favorites. This was just such a powerful, powerful love song. Yes. And the video just looks so cool. Have you seen yeah. the video? Yes, yes. With the spotlights and stuff in it. I just love it. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. The whole album's really good, too. King for a Day, Roll yeah. Over. They did that terrible cover of the Beatles Revolution, which I think is the only dud on the LP, but you know, it's a great album. Then they did the Swatchbox commercials. Did you see those? I'm sure I did. That was running in this area era, which was really cool. They were really cool too. You know, the memory I have of the Thompson twins around this time, besides all their music videos, is there had been an interview, and it may have been on MTV with oh, Tom Bailey. Tom Bailey. Thank you. And I don't know why I can't remember that because my neighbor's named Tom Bailey, but I have a weird block. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, there there had been an interview on MTV with Tom Bailey where he was talking about how he thought that he had been a monkey in a past life and was reincarnated. And my grandfather was so disgusted with it. He reached over and turned the TV off. He had a, a, a nervous breakdown in the midst of the recording of this album. Oh, did he? Yeah, so this single came out months before the album because it got delayed due to his... It's never really said exactly what was going on, but he had some mental issues and they kind of took a break and he got it right. You know, I guess he wants to keep it personal, which I can completely understand that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Well, so some of our listeners are probably listening to this and saying, wait a minute, this wasn't 85, this was 84. Well, it was released in 1984 in the UK. Right. But it was released on July 26, 1985 in the US and Canada. And it did eventually reach number six on the Billboard charts, which I think may actually have been their uh, highest charting single at that time. Am I correct? No, I that? think uh, Hold Me Now was way, oh, way... Hold Me Now was prior to that. Okay. I, I think Dr. Doctor. Later. I think Dr. Doctor even went higher than this one. Okay. Well, hold on. I yeah, think you're I probably right. <laughs> you're probably right because you know a lot more about Thompson Twins than I do. I, 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 both of those were pretty big singles. I, I, look it up. Let's make I sure. Am. Okay. Hold Me Now. Hold Me Now was three. Dr. Doctor was 11. Lay Your Hands on Me, uh, six. So it was bigger than Dr. Doctor, but not Holby now. I didn't think it got that high because I know there was a lot of disappointment with this album. Hmm. I don't know why, because it's wonderful. It's our best effort to me. Well, and you know, it's, this song in particular has everything that we love the Thompson Twins for. Good harmonies, up-tempo beats, synths, but also this kind of like xylophone or vibraphone kind of sound to it, mm -hmm. you know? It's it's a happy song. It is. Yeah. It's a great song. You know, I should note too, this like some of the Duran Duran songs, there's probably ten different versions of this song, and each country had a different version of it released as a single. Oh yeah. And there's even a reggae-ish version that came out in the UK. Oh, interesting. When they were trying to generate interest in the album when it came out because the sales weren't, so they re-released it and you know how they do. I, I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Record label antics. Well, and it's interesting because you don't see that anymore now in the days of the internet because mm. all singles are, are digital now. So that yeah. would be foolish. Why would you do that? 
But yeah, they would do different versions in different countries. And if you were a collector, if you could get your hands on, you know, if there was a Japanese only single or something like that, you know, you thought that you were the shit if you could get a hold of that. So, And I, I actually had the 12 inch of this months before it was released here because I got a UK import at a Camelot Music. Of course you did. So people were going, <laughs> what the hell? Where'd you get this? Nice. And nice. I was like, I'm just cool like that, guys. Nice. I love their clothes, too. His little coats and his, you know. They always looked to me like they were going on a desert adventure somewhere. <laughs> no? Well, they were named after, uh, what was the comic? Is it Tintin? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So that kind of makes sense. That sort of fits that you would say that. Okay. All right. And you've, you've got another wonderful one here, Lori. Oh, yes. I had to include this one. Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. You know, yet again, an absolute freaking banger of an album. Just, oh good yeah, Lord, yeah. And I mean, this was the song that was their international smash. It went to number one in the USA and Canada. It went to number two in the UK and Australia. It was featured in the 1985 movie Real Genius, starring yep, Val Kilmer. Yep. I yep. think. At one point, we talked a little bit about the trend in 1985 for science-themed films, teen science-themed yes, films. Yes, yes. Right? Weird Science, Real Genius, yep. My Science Project. But I think out of all of those, Real Genius oh, for sure. was the best, and it is the one that I think mm -hmm. has stood the test of time. The classic movie. Oh, yes, yes. But, you know, it's another one of those that just tanked miserably in the theater, but HBO got it just... You know, it, it they they got it out there. It picked up a huge cult following. Oh, yeah. Years. Yes. That's probably what put Val Kilmer on the map. Oh, yes. I think even before uh, Hot Shots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way before yes. that. Yes. Yeah. No. And, and Val Kilmer was absolutely dreamy in that movie. You're not the first woman I've ever heard say that. <laughs> and he's smart, too. I mean, that's the best part. You know, I mean, you know, you got a guy that's cute and intelligent yes please well you know i i i gotta this album had such a long life too mm. it was one of those ones that was in the charts for more than a year and just you know who didn't have it yeah i had it you know yeah me too i had some of the singles and the 12 inches and played this one a lot man still it, it, it a lot of the songs including this one, a lot of the songs sound really timeless. They don't oh, they sound do. dated to me. They do. I had a you know friend went and saw them last summer when they toured with Garbage, and he put some videos up on Facebook of them. They just sounded fantastic. Well, and I think I might have mentioned in a previous episode that there 
most recent album that came out last year was just fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they still got it, man. And they're gonna come up next year, most likely when we get to eighty six. For sure. All right, Trey, what song do you have next? I picked the Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Nobody on the road, nobody on the beach. I feel it in the air, the summer's out of reach. Empty lake, empty streets, the sun goes down alone. I'm driving by your house, though I know you're not You know, I should note, I can't stand the Eagles. I was wondering, when you put this on your list, Trey, I thought, has he been kidnapped? Is he signaling me for help? Uh, this was a big song, man. And, it, it, you know, it's such a haunting song. You sit down and listen to what it's about. It, it's just great. I, I don't think I really realized at the age of 15 what he was singing about. But now that I'm 52, I'm like, man, he's looking back and reminiscing, missing a woman, you know. Well, it kind of comes off as a little bit stalkery in the lyrics. I mean, I was listening to it for this episode and I'm like, you know, he, he's going back to, to her old address and stuff. And like, I got the impression. I always had it in my head that it was a woman who maybe she was a small actress when he met her and they dated and then she loved him and got famous. Interesting. I don't know. That's the way that I had it in my head. Interesting. Well, you know, the lyrics were written by Don Henley. The music was written by Mike Campbell of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm -hmm. And this song did go to number five in the U.S. And yeah, you could not turn on the radio without hearing this in 1985. Arguably, it's a very, very good song. But for me, this song is like you with Take On Me. I've just heard it so many times. Yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah. I can totally see that. You know, I have to say, I did buy this album, and it's a really good album. Yeah. The rest of it's very synthesizer heavy, which I don't think I was expecting when I got it. So, but yeah, I can totally see you saying that. That, that It does get played a lot still. Classic rock stations, adult, contem- adult contemporary, they got a hold of it. Don Henley, that's my parents' music. You know, the <laughs> Eagles, that, that's like my, my parents' generation. That's not my generation. Were your parents kind of hippies? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Well, next up, we have another song that, again, was everywhere in 1985. Oh, God. <laughs> is that a good oh God or a bad oh God? No, I love this song. Okay. So this is Life in a Northern Town by the Dream Academy. Children drunk lemonade And the morning lasted all day And through an open window came Like Sinatra in a younger day Pushing the town
you know, I very recently rediscovered the Dream Academy because my friend Chuck is very much into them. I always considered them to be a one-hit wonder. This song went to number seven in the U.S. Yeah. I didn't realize they actually had another song the following year in 86 that went to number 36, and that was called The Love Parade. I vaguely remember that one. I, I don't remember it, but this really was their signature song. It's beautiful. It's haunting. I actually didn't realize that they were a UK band. When I was, I was about a- to say, I, yeah, it's, they seemed American. And the imagery and the video and everything. Yeah, but I mean, but I guess the more I think about it, the more I think maybe it is universal. But I mean, you know, listening to the lyrics, the Salvation Army Band played and the children drank lemonade, mm-hmm. you know, and they're talking about John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. Right. It's a, a moment in time, you know, it's painting that kind of a picture of what life would have been like. I brought this album when I was really disappointed in it. Really? How come? It just, you know, this is one another. I've said how many times have I said this? One of those albums that had three or four really good songs on it. The rest of it was, yeah, there was a thing back then where they would just build albums around a couple of singles. Right. You know, the producer guy, you got three great songs. Let's throw some other stuff in there and put it out. Go. What was the guy? Is it Nick Laird? Nick Laird Close. Yeah, there you go. He went on to do some film scores or something, didn't he? And if he's still active in some aspect, I stay up late reading wiki pages. This is to our audience. And this is how I know some of this bizarre stuff. Okay. All right. <laughs> he's one of those weird people that'll kind of just disappear for eight years and then pop back up and do something and just sort of slink back off. Interesting. Up next, we have Madonna's Crazy for You, which was from the Vision Quest soundtrack. Can't you feel? We know you love Madonna, Trey. We know you love Madonna. <laughs> what 15-year-old boy in 1985 did, you know? You know, I have fond memories of dancing to this at a school dance in eighth grade with, I won't mention the boy's name. Because he, he he and I are still Facebook friends. He might be listening. But, you know, so I have fond memories of that. But, I, you know, I really cared much for madonna's ballads i liked her up-tempo dancey songs this one's a little boring for me i loved it it's just you know it's just the video and everything and i gotta say the movie was terrible but you know i've never seen the movie vision quest i was so disappointed to learn that it's not actually about a vision quest that i decided i didn't want to watch it It, well It's a line from the movie. You, you you want to talk about a really cheesy 80s movie. This is it. Okay. You should watch it one day. It's some interesting stuff. It's about high school wrestling. And so, yeah, it just kind of, you know, 
is this is this meant to convince me that I should watch it? Because <laughs> it seems to be doing the opposite. <laughs> it does not my, sound appealing to me. My ex-wife one day was like, this is like a it's it's like a you know a movie made out of a Bon Jovi song or something. Yeah. <laughs> Typical 80s fluff, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Madge? I guess, but that. <laughs> are you, we okay? Are you okay today? over there? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, she's about to surmount a big tour. And I, Did you see her on the Grammys? I've, I've read about it. You know, I look at stuff like that and, you know, people freak out. She's happy with it. And hey, I, I don't know what to say. Well, I guess she's earned it, right? Right. She's earned the right to live her life however she wants. Okay. Well, next up we have the song Be Near Me by ABC. Another great one. Oh, fantastic. You know, I was actually just reading an interview with Martin Fry of ABC. And apparently the record label did not want to put this song out. Oh, there's a lot of lot of interesting things about this album. Yeah. Well such as the other people seen in the videos weren't actually musicians. Oh, tell me more about that. Martin Fry and Mark White are the only people that played music. The uh, two people you see in this video, Fiona Russell and David Uritu. I'm sorry, Fiona Russell Powell and David, I don't know how to say that, Yaratu, were just there for their appearance, you know, for their looks. Oh, the the drummer and the okay. But yeah, they were they were just hired just to just to flesh out the band. Apparently, Mark Fry is a bit of a jerk to work with, too. <laughs> I've heard that. Which I've was like that. why every two or three years, ABC had a completely different lineup. And, you know, but they're still a great band. Don't get me wrong there, people in the, out there listening. Yeah. So anyway, the record label did not want this song to come out. And Martin Fry apparently really pushed for it. And this ended up being one of their biggest hits in the U.S., maybe less so in their native UK. This was on their third album, How to Be a Zillionaire. And they really, over the years, have kind of evolved their sound. You know, I think very early on, 82, The Lexicon of Love, they kind of had almost a, a like a synth sound. I always called music like that Casio wave. Okay. You could tell they were using the lesser brand synthesizers to make their music, which was fine. Hell, Depeche Mode was doing that then. So was Human League. But, yeah. You know. But by the time they reached this album, there's a lot more heavily, I think, Motown influenced. Interestingly enough, Trey, I also learned recently that this was one of the first albums that was recorded in an all digital format. Yes. In 85, that was still something that was very new. Mm -hmm. For sure. So 
It was a pretty good album. I had this one. I bought it off the radio. Oh, good for you. So I had the vinyl LP. It was a decent LP. I chose the song because I just think it's such a it, it's such a sweet love song. I mean, we're coming up on Valentine's Day here pretty soon. But also, I really like the lyrics, especially at the end. What's your reputation? Ecstasy. What's your destination next to me? I, it's a very clever rhyme scheme. His wordplay is really, really good. He, he was an excellent lyricist, if anything else. Oh, absolutely. All right. Now. What is this song called? Uh, uh, it is What You Need. This was, you know, I, I think it's safe to say this was NXS's breakthrough hit. In the U.S., definitely. We were already fans, of course, but the rest, of, the rest of the country started catching on strongly here. Yeah, this was the song that really broke them on MTV, really broke them in the States. Oh, man. The video was directed by Richard Lowenstein and very low budget. I guess he actually took the film and like Xerox did on a photocopier to create the very low budget effects. Mm -hmm. It looked amazing. It was, it was, it was considered a, a groundbreaking video, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was absolutely. And it was like made for something like $200. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, no, I'm, I, I'm exaggerating. It wasn't $200, but it was a really laughably low budget video. And supposedly Mick Jagger approached uh, Michael Hutchins and asked him, how did you guys do that video? You know, he was so oh, so wow. impressed with it. He thought that like there was some kind of special technique to it. And it was really the whole punk do-it-yourself ethos, you know, the shoestring budget and, you know, let's just Xerox these and see what we come up with. And, you know, th this song just completely showcases NXS's total sound, too. You've got Kirk's saxophone, mm -hmm. the heavy synthesizers, Gary's guitars are prominent in it. And, of course, you've got Michael singing it. Just, you know... Well, actually, it's Tim's guitar. Oh. And the thing that, that got me on this was that growling bass line. And that isn't even a traditional bass. That is a synth bass. One of the few songs that Gary is not actually playing a four-string bass. I always get Gary and Tim mixed up, and I don't know why I do that. You know, the one that I got mixed up, and my, my NXS friends are going to laugh as they're hearing this, but when this video came up, or when this video came out, rather, Michael Hutchinson, John Ferris, they looked so much alike in the video. You know, there was a scene of John dancing these weird dance moves. And I actually thought it was Michael because their hair was so similar. You know, this is a fantastic album, too. Oh, yeah. So this is on Listen Like Thieves, which was their groundbreaking album in the States. They won a number of MTV uh, video awards. But I think that this is the album that paved the way for their world domination in 87. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I just, you know, I never understood. Was it, is it two instrumental tracks or is it just one? I think it's just one. I don't never understood why they put that on there. Uh, Three Sisters is the one you're thinking of, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's named after some mountains in Australia that are called the Three Sisters. Yeah, I I don't know why they chose that as a an album track per se. I mean, I know Tim Ferriss is a big fan of that one. Usually their instrumental tracks would end up on the B side of a, a Right. Song. Yeah. I actually, I had the vinyl LP, so I taped it, left that song off. Oh, <laughs> it just killed that the flow bad, of the album. Huh? It just killed the flow of the album. You know, you're not the first person that I've heard that from. It's just sort of you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's a great, you know, basically new wave rock and roll album. And all of a sudden this jumps out at you. You're like, wait a minute. What's going on here? I don't want to. I always feel like they're going to hear this somehow. I'm going to get a nasty email from one of them. You know, say, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I guess I just replied, go, you know what? You made a lot of money off me. Well, and you know, if they are listening, and I know I've said this on another podcast before, but uh, John Ferris, the spare key is under the doormat. <laughs> you know, because all married couples have the the list, right? Where you're allowed to have a mm-hmm. hall pass. Yeah. So I just recently turned a good friend of mine onto him, and he is obsessed with the drumming. Oh, like watching video live videos what i can't believe this guy he's just why did you never show me this before mm-hmm. it's great okay so i shall move on to speaking of crushes although i don't know that the, this is a musical crush for me this isn't like a crush crush and that is scritty politi and their biggest hit probably ever but in 1985 especially was perfect way Such a, this was a great album. This guy is immensely talented. Oh my gosh, yeah. Green Gartside is the singer-songwriter. He's got an angelic voice. Mm-hmm. But this is off of the album Cupid and Psyche 85. And this is a criminally underrated album. Oh, for sure. Criminally underrated. Now, they started off as a reggae band, believe it or not. Reggae, reggae slash punk. Well, they've, they, you know, yeah, they've gone all over the place since this album, too, so. But this is arguably their magnum opus, Cupid and Psyche 85. There's so many good songs on mm-hmm. it. I almost chose another song off of this album, but I don't think a lot of our listeners would recognize some of the other songs the way they recognize this one. The songwriting is is beautiful. The lyrics are very, very complicated. You got a conscience, compassion. You got a way with the word. You got a heart full of complacency too. 
who writes like that? I mean, that's a that's some big words to fit into the meter and tempo of a song. I was gonna know? say he did it. It just flows so well. Oh, he's a fantastic songwriter, and again, just the most angelic, gorgeous voice. I remember buying the cassette of this, and it was one of those cassettes that had a bunch of remixes and stuff tacked on at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Woodbees and Hypnotize and yep. a longer version of Perfect Way with that breakdown in the middle. Yeah, that was the album version, I think. The and single version it? didn't have the breakdown. So is it the single version that's tacked on to the end? Okay, Absolute, Woodbees and Hypnotize were the three that were tacked on. Okay, okay, I was mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it was almost 40 years ago, guys. Yeah. But <laughs> I do actually like the album version better than the single version because of the additional instrumental. Yeah, that will of... break down there in the middle. That kicks ass. Yes. Yeah. And you know, another thing is the drum mix on this song is just freaking phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just the beginning that boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Great song. Great album. Check this band out, guys. They're still going. They sporadically put stuff out, but it's all been pretty good, what I've heard. Didn't they mm-hmm. just rather recently tour the U.S. for the first time? Oh, I don't know. I mean, by rather recent, I mean like 06 or something, 07? Well, he came out with a new album in 06, so it's possible. Yeah, okay. 06, first ever tour of the United States yeah. in 06, yeah. There you go. See, that's why you should stay up late reading Wikipedia. Wikipedia pages, people. <laughs> I think also Chicago was one of the few cities that they played. Well, it's probably one of the few cities that people actually knew who he was. Well, yeah, that's true, too. I don't think any might <laughs> have been the only one there down here. Right, right. Okay, so. Another odd one for me? Yeah. I, it's, I, a, I, it's a good album. It is a good album. Well, at least, you know, when I saw who he was duetting with, then it made a little more sense. But go ahead and tell us your next song. It's Only Love by Brian Adams featuring Tina Turner. So many people make fun of me for liking this album, but it's a good album. You know, I've forgotten about this song. Uh, I I remember a lot of the other songs on there. This song, especially Tina Turner, you know, people who are questioning, why is she in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They just need to listen to this song and they can hear what a rocker she is. She's phenomenal. So Brian Adams, I was very surprised, Trey. He's on a, a bit of a comeback tear right now. Uh, the other day I saw him on late night TV. He's got a new album out. Yeah. He doesn't sound the same to me. He he seems to have lost, you know, his voice had this kind of raspy quality. Yeah, to it. yeah. I don't hear that anymore, but I know people's voices change as they age. But I wouldn't have realized it was the same person if 
they hadn't announced it as Brian Adams. He sounds great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's still got it. I mean, he's still got the rock and roller, you know, edge. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see him doing stuff again. It's just interesting to me how different his voice sounds. You know, actually, one of the funnest concerts I ever went to was on on, on his tour for his next album after this one. Okay. And that man, he that, that he was so much fun to see live. It's one of those times where you see a band or a performer and they're having a blast too. And he was really good in between the songs, getting people into it, telling stories and being a real clown on stage. It was a great show. Sounds like he's the consummate showman, huh? Actually, my my friend listens to this. I'll tell him about it. Brian Adams came and did an in-store at a locally owned record store in our town. We didn't have tickets. So Ryan Adams gave us tickets to the show. We got on the news because of it that night. Oh, how cool. Yeah. This guy's name is Tony Muni. I'll tell him to check this out. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a great day. We were over the moon. Patty Smythe was the opener. Ooh. She, she was good, too. Patty Smythe from Scandal. Yes. Nice. She didn't play that song. But anyways, we got off tangent again. Yeah, that's all right. You know, it always comes out in the editing. It's like but it comes was- out in the wash, you know? <laughs> But this was a fantastic album from start to finish. Still is. If so many people make fun of me, like I said, for like it, I'm like, shut up. I like it. Go sit down. Yeah, I, you know, I never owned any Brian Adams, but I appreciate him. He had a couple songs that I really like. You know, Run to You was a good one. Cuts Like a Knife was a good one. Yeah, I will say, I could, as long as I never hear Summer 69 again. Yeah. That's another one that radio was just absolutely overplayed, destroyed. Ugh. I liked it back then in the 80s. Yeah. It's been in modern times today. All right. But you picked a great one. Oh, thank you. For the final. I've got a story about her, too. So go ahead, Lori. Great. Well, okay. So we're going to, our our last song (laughs) is going to be Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. fantastic album and criminally underrated band oh yeah amy man is just amazing this album was great the follow-up is great which unfortunately was our last album but how how more people don't like these guys is beyond me she's the total package the singer the songwriter the bassist you know mm-hmm absolutely freaking gorgeous i loved her mm-hmm. i loved her hair you know the wild kind of spiky hair this song i think resonated with a lot of people because it's about a i don't want to say an abusive relationship but it's definitely about an unhealthy relationship you know uh, al jorgensen claims this is about him really yes it's in his book really i don't think she's ever commented on it. I think she was just kind of like, really? 
But yeah, he claims this is about him. Oh, wow. I'm just processing that. But you said you have a story about Amy Mann, huh? In 1994, she came here and uh, she played in a bar with her husband. They were both doing an acoustic show. You know who her husband is, right? I don't. Michael Penn. My, the Michael Penn. The Michael Penn. Yes. Really? You know no, yes. I didn't. Yeah, that's... Uh, How did you not? <laughs> well, you know, I I don't know. So that's Sean Penn's little brother. He did uh, No Myth. Yeah. What if and... I were Romeo? Yes. That's another fantastic album. But anyway, I'm sorry I derailed what you were saying. So she was playing uh, an acoustic set with her husband, Michael Penn. Well, they were playing one before the other. But I went, there was, there was maybe 50 people there, but I went up to her and started talking to her before the show. At first, she was kind of standoffish with me. You know, in 94, she was forgotten. You know, mm -hmm. I think she, something in her mind kicked in, and then she started being really cool to me and brought her husband over, and they were, you know, she was thanking me for being a fan until Tuesday. And actually, so she comes out and she starts playing. She's playing all her solo stuff. She's like, I, I've been avoiding playing any until Tuesday stuff on this tour but i met a fan tonight and here you go she played this and coming home oh how cool yeah i was just like wow oh my gosh of course i went up to her after the show and thanked her a billion times you know she was like don't mention it that's amazing yeah yeah it was pretty close if only we had had cell phones in 94 yeah you know i almost felt what she practically was singing to me because to be honest, nobody else in there was really paying much mind. Well, she's had a rough go since uh, since COVID hit. She had, due to the stress of the pandemic, not so much due to the virus, but due to all of the the nervousness and stress, she developed a nervous system disorder, and really? it, it's affected her uh, headaches, nausea, dizziness, kind of thing, but. I guess it's been so severe that she hasn't been able to listen to music. How weird. Yeah. I couldn't, I would, I couldn't exist. Well, especially for somebody like her, that this has been her entire life, you know, that's gotta be. I can't imagine. Yeah. Oops, so... Excuse me. I got the hiccups there. I apologize to our <laughs> audience. That's all right. So, I mean, obviously we wish her well. Yeah. I, I, I love her. I'm going to look that up. I, I, no, I know she was touring in 2019. I'm kind of doing doing well with it, so I, I think COVID derailed that tour, didn't it? She did a fantastic version of this song on that tour with a it's real haunting. You should look that up and listen to it. Okay. It's really cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our Pop Songs of 1985 trade. We actually have two episodes that we're going to be working on, and I don't know which one's going to come out first. So one of them is going to be the alternative music of 1985. Which is going to be a tone. And then the other one is we're going to do a Duran Duran slash side project episode, specifically talking about late 84 into 85, because it was such a pivotal time for the five boys from Birmingham. There were some notable side projects and such. Again, we don't know what order those two episodes are going to be in, but we're going to throw them out within the next few weeks. So please tune in in two weeks for the next episode about 1985. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Good night.
or good day wherever you are. 